0: I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two coverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, Eve. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hi, Kieran. Welcome home.
0: Thank you. It's nice to be back in my own bed, but I miss hanging out with you.
1: I I do too. I'm I'm glad to be back where it's warm, though.
0: Yes, yeah. It's it was really nice to spend two weeks somewhere where rain happens, <laughs> and to have bonfires without being worried that the entire state will combust. So it was True very injuries. cathartic. Yeah, but but now I'm back with my cat and my bed, and I'm still tired from the train, but otherwise good so good
1: well I'm really really excited about this episode I feel like this is like one I've been like scheming on making happen for a very long time and now it's all finally come together
2: yes <laughs> we, have some we have really have special friends. guests
1: <laughs> let's start with Garrison you want to introduce yourself
2: um, sure. Hi, uh, my name is Garrison Davis. Um, what do I do? Um, I many things. I yeah, I do. I do. I do a, I do a few things. I uh, I do like street reporting here, mostly in Portland. Did a lot of stuff last year for like the 2020 BLM protests, and also currently now I've I've been podcast pilled <laughs> we have
1: we have brought you over to the dark side.
2: Yeah, so now I spend my life sitting in my uh bunker writing podcasts. And that's what I do now.
1: You know, it's a, it's an admirable since <laughs> <laughs> the person who takes it the least seriously of anyone. <laughs> um and we also have the lovely Amy Fias. You want to introduce yourself to to our listeners? Sure.
3: Uh, Well, thanks for having me on, and hey, everybody. Uh, So, I'm Amy Fayas, and I also do a wide range of different things, (laughs) depending on the day. But I'm mostly a PhD scholar, I guess, at the moment, Um, focusing on modern Middle East history. And I also have started calling myself a writer, thanks in no small part to Eve and their work. You are already doing it. (laughs) So now I just get really sad and write uh, my feelings and
0: pretty great. Relatable.
1: Good job. (laughs) Um Amy and I know each other from Grip City, and uh we have fairly different backgrounds but very similar experiences in a couple of different ways, a lot with the, the homeschooling fundamentalism and garrison, you also come out of that world too you wanna yeah a little bit of that
2: yeah i, I grew up in what i act what i uh describe as a as a cult because because it was um yeah but uh so <laughs> i i did so I was in that for like until i was like 12 um then my family moved away from the thing to get away from the thing but it still kind of it still like st- stuck around for a few years um and then i was w- since when's, uh, when i w- when i was in the cult i was in like the cult's zone like private school with like fake textbooks um <laughs> and then when we moved away um I, I was i was still homeschooled with a lot of like Christianity textbooks um, so yeah, also kind of familiar with the, the weird, messed up world that is Christian homeschooling.
1: And Amy, what's your connection to this world?
3: Yeah, so I was also homeschooled. <laughs> and <laughs> it was really weird because my family, they're both uh, immigrants, Central American immigrants. And so it was like a situation where like they were learning English and they were teaching me English. And then like, they're, you know, tried to teach me everything. And the, you know, it was like very interesting why they even got into that in the first place, because usually you have immigrants that want like their kids to integrate into public schools and into society. And I think because they were evangelicals, they had this idea of like, we're going to withdraw from the world. Um, so that was definitely influenced by their evangelical leanings. They also went to a Jews for Jesus church for a while. Uh, Yeah. So there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that. Um, but then, yeah, I was basically homeschooled, uh,
1: K through 12. Good times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like we, like, I like to say, like we're, we're here Um, With our credentials, not because of the homeschooling, but in spite of it. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Don't get it wrong, parents. (laughs) Yes, I taught myself. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, but um, so the reason I brought all y'all together is because I wanted to talk about um, what's been going on with the ongoing escalation of the Israeli bombing of Palestine um and the the sudden shift in th- what you call the discourse where everybody's like <laughs> TM Discor-
2: Discourse TM.
1: Discourse TM where it's suddenly like cool to be pro-Palestine, whereas like about, you know, a year ago probably a year that would have yeah. been yeah, that would have been professionally dangerous. My friend Rachel, friend of the pod, who's been on here, um, Dr. Hunt, she she you know, she works at a hospital in detroit where it's it's largely uh you know there's a very large middle eastern population and she's just like this was normal in my world but now suddenly everybody else has gotten on board with it what the fuck happened and i thought that was a really good question and i was thought i'd throw that out at you and see what y'all thought of that
2: i guess i can i mean i can spread my mostly uneducated thoughts on the topic but i don't know i think uh I think this is a pretty steady um, trajectory ever since Trump got elected in terms of what people feel like they can say online and stuff in regards to like leftist belief or like left leaning belief or like progressive belief, just be- because of because of how more extreme things got on the right. We saw you know kind of actively p- people trying to actively combat that by actually saying what they believe and like, on the left to offer, like, okay, the right's showing, like, a very radical alternative to our present. Maybe people on the left should also think about how the centrism is not really winning. Mm -hmm. And then I think a lot of it has to do also with what happened last year, with last year was like a big mass mobilization movement for a lot of people for the first time. I know in Portland, there's like, a shocking amount of first time activists that, you know, are now like, regular people who like do this like all the time mm-hmm. so i definitely think the mass mobilization last year that energy is still feeding off and people realizing, okay yeah we actually can jump on the train for these you know things that were seen as more uh niche before so i think yeah a mixture of just how how trump has affected discourse and what people feel like they can say
4: mm-hmm.
2: and then the general widespread and acceptedness of last year's protests i think are probably impacting it as well
1: just pushing that Overton window.
2: Yeah, which I mean is, is I think the further left that can go is good because <laughs> I mean, the Overton window in the States is so ridiculously shifted to the right um, oh, yes. to, like a, yeah. to like an absurd degree compared to the rest of the world. But I mean, yeah, it definitely has a lot to do with what people feel like is comfortable. And, you know, we, we saw a lot of a lot of, like, corporatization of the protests last year with, you know, <laughs> brands posting their black squares or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's at some point it's going to be more profitable to follow what people, you know, on, like, what people are thinking. And even if that is a good mm-hmm. thing, like, maybe we shouldn't be genociding Palestinian people. If that's, you know, a safe thing to do, we're going to see more people openly say it. I mean, it, it's still not totally safe, because, I mean, like, I've been watching, because I've been watching, like, the IGN thing. How you know like the the writers and people who run the website like you know what did, is IGN you know. so IGN is a is a gaming website okay it's like the most popular kind of gaming journalism website yeah um, forgive, and if, forgive
1: me for not being a gamer okay yeah so and and
2: like <laughs> a, f- a, f- a few weeks ago they uh like put like a Palestinian flag on like their um uh, homepage and they had links to like donate to Palestinian relief funds and they made like a statement of solidarity. And you know, there was like a little bit of an uproar. I know the IGN Israel branch got very mad. <laughs> um oh. <but laughs> and, and then it all suddenly came down. But it huh. wasn't the it wasn't like it wasn't like the writers or like the editors of the site. It was like the parent company. They like they mm-hmm. like pulled the page down. So and it there was, wasn't and, like a far th-
1: right, like Gamergate
2: style, like no, I mean, bombing. no, but like, like th- there was some of that, but it was the, like the parent company started fighting the ed- editorial board and they're still kind of going back and forth oh. right now. There's, you know, there's been like, you know, threats of, you know, people losing their jobs and all this, Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's, this whole thing. So, Cute. you know, we're starting to see, you know, some, you know, people who like run these kind of publications and this, this happened across a lot of gaming websites, uh, oddly enough, like um, Kotaku Gamespot, all these popular gaming websites, all came out in support of Palestine because there's a lot of Palestinian writers on these things, and yeah, but it's been interesting watching how like the corporate side try to like gauge what's acceptable, and then if they feel like it's a little bit too far, they're just like pulling everything down.
1: Huh, Amy, what's your what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I do
3: definitely agree that last year kind of marked, I think a certain permissibility with not just mass mobilization, but cross movement solidarities. And I think it's really notable that right now, you know, what we've seen in the past month, black lives matter has been one of the most, you know, pro Palestinian, you know, the one of the first organizations to issue, you know, solidarity statements and other grassroots movements Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And this also has like a longer trajectory, like black Palestinian solidarity movements have existed, for decades. The Black so Panthers were involved
1: in that, right? Totally.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, so again, a lot of similar anti-colonial resistance, um, you know, really from the margins organizing. I think we're seeing kind of a revitalization of that given last year, but I think it's like, very interesting because the past four years, as we all know, has been really disastrous for the Palestinian cause. Not least among them, right, Trump's you know very pro-Israel policies, moving the embassy to you know the Israeli embassy to Jerusalem. Um, you know Jared Kushner, as, oh, like, God. Yeah, the like uh, <laughs> the new leader of the peace process or whatever that was, and then of course the conflation between anti-Zionism as anti-Semitism which has put tons of Palestinian activists and scholars um, at risk Mm -hmm. of their, you know, freedom of speech and their, their first amendment rights. So, um, and this also comes with within like, there's been normalization of Israel, right? The Gulf States are Mm -hmm. openly acknowledging that Israel is a state and this is unprecedented. Um, And so this is actually kind of slightly unexpected that there would be so much public, support now for palestine in light of all these like institutional powerful states and alliances that continuously uh you know undermine the palestinian liberation cause and that's what i think is really interesting about the moment that we're in because as you mentioned eve like we're seeing you know such widespread amount and even just like the people that i'm interacting with like before this used to be kind of very niche Mm -hmm. i think and now like you go on instagram and like. You know, my friends from like high school are putting this like on their stories or, (laughs) you know, on Twitter, like my colleagues who have like very, you know, just like learned about like Palestinian history. And like it's so it's encouraging to see that it's bringing in different kinds of people that I don't think have been a part of that struggle before. And it's really galvanizing like solidarity in that way.
1: I want to ask you about the the states recognizing Israel history a little bit. what what do we need to know about that if we didn't grow up like getting taught the actual history of this and just got taught that like it's you know god's will for israel to exist for eschatological reasons etc um what were we missing that's a Um, huge question we don't have enough time but like (laughs) summarize as best you want to
3: I mean, I love this question, and I love that it's kitchen table cult because I like talk about this on my kitchen table with like my parents all the time. (laughs) So basically, I think there's two or three main things that we should know off the bat, like from square one, right? If we don't know anything about Israel Palestine, it's easy to go into it and like, oh, Israel's been a state and they have legitimacy, and the Palestinians don't. But actually, I would like to say first of all that. Zionism, right, is not Judaism. So these are two separate things. Mm -hmm. And Zionism was a modern nationalism that was forged during the 19th century in response to anti-Semitism and the Jewish question in Europe. So although these are connected, they are distinctively
1: And and just to like a pause there, like one of the the, one of the key things to know about like the rise of the Third Reich is that like infusation of nationalism as like a popular concept. And so this is kind of like a fighting fire with fire and both are super dangerous.
3: Absolutely. I mean, exactly. (laughs) So it's, you know, a very, (laughs) it's a very historical statement, you think. (laughs) Just trying to get it
1: super simplified here.
3: Yeah. No, it's totally, but you're totally right. And, um, so it's, you know, it developed in the modern context. This is not something from antiquity. This is not thousands of years of historic ancient hatreds. This is something, uh, Zionism as a movement is relatively new. Now the contestation is not a religious one. That's what I would say is the second thing. This is fundamentally an issue about land, right? And 1948 is like the date, I think, to really focus on, because essentially what happened, and I'll just boil it down, very like rudimentary, and whoever's
1: listening, I'm sorry if I'm glossing I mean, over you details. You can give us, you can give us resources for further reading after afterward. We'll put <laughs> it, the put it all <laughs> the <minutes. laughs> Great,
3: but basically, what happened was right. The British had a mandate over Palestine following World War One, and with World War Two they're basically bankrupt. And so they're trying to offload all of their colonies in essence, right? Palestine, they basically go to the UN because they're given the mandate through the UN. And they say, okay, this is a partition plan that was established. And, you know, they put lines that there was going to be an Arab state and an Israeli state or Jewish state. And that on May 14th, 1948, that mandate was to expire, the British were going to
1: leave, and there were going to be magically two mm-hmm. states.
0: Right.
3: <laughs>
0: That's the British how it love works. <laughs>
1: organizing things like this. They love, like, kicking their kidnapped children out of the nest and being like, go fly. It's fine. <laughs> now, what's funny about
3: this is that, I mean, well, it's not funny. Um, the Palestinians didn't agree to this. None of the Arab states agreed to this. And so the Zionist institutions that had been established since the 19th century, through various different waves of migration, had set up basically, you know, a paramilitary organization, a you know, pre-parliamentary institution. Like they had state institutions that they had been developing for a, a bit. And so essentially what happens is, we know this story a little bit, like there's a war, <laughs> uh, you know, there's these states that invade the newly created state of Israel. And as a result, is, Israel becomes bigger. They end up taking more land and they consolidate their land. And this is kind of one of the main things for me when I, because I was a Christian Zionist, I am no longer, mm-hmm. obviously. This is one of the things I didn't realize, right? That Zionists, in, they pushed Palestinians out of their homes, out of their villages in an intentional policy of depopulation to consolidate their land, to connect their settlements, and this is, you know, over up to and over 750,000 Palestinians were made stateless, homeless over this period of time. And so those are kind of the main contours of like what I would say, like the origins, mm-hmm. right, um, that I think all of us should be aware and
1: of. In terms of the other, these other states recognizing Israel, what's the context we need to know there?
3: So, I mean, I am, again, not the expert on this. It's actually funny because I think I got interested in Middle East history through Palestine Mm -hmm. and then focused entirely on another thing. But when it comes to states and recognition, there was basically, right, Palestine is, like, the primary liberation cause, like, and has been historically for the Middle East, for all states. And if we think about this, too, within the period of time that, Israel became a state or you know this is there were also other states that were brand new precisely because the british and the french were out and so all of these states in the region basically are emerging around the same time as well and there is a commitment to the cause of palestine that sort of becomes the cause celebre of of all of these states right we have to fight for the liberation of palestine we can't capitulate to the settlers, you know, and now that we know we call this settler colonialism, but this started changing, you know, one of the things that when we teach like Israel-Palestine, we look at like say 1993 and the Oslo Accords as sort of one of this major watershed moments mm-hmm. where the PLO, uh, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, is, is recognized as the legitimate representative of the Palestinian people and in turn they recognize the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of seen right like this is to many liberal elites this was like oh this is the perfect you know coexistence this is everyone's Tumbalized. getting along and it's actually
4: <laughs> no, it's
3: not, right? <laughs> it's accepting and this is again part of the narrative that pervades even today. I mean even with what's going on right now, right? Like oh, why can't, you know, Palestinians tell Hamas to stop it? You know, it's like, what? Like, why don't they vote them out? It's well, like, uh,
4: how <laughs> much time do you have? <laughs>
3: so, yeah. So in terms of like state recognition and all this, so there's, you know, there's been kind of de facto recognition. Like Egypt, for instance, has definitely been supporting The blockade of Gaza, for instance, you know, they share a border. So, um, they, yeah, that seems kind of fucked up. Yeah, (laughs) they're part of the problem. And then you have, you know, several Gulf states in the past several years that have established, you know, informalized diplomatic relations. And this is kind of sort of part of a movement that's seen as normalization of relations. And, It's, you know, it started happening so quickly. And then now all of this happened. And I think the past month has shown us like people care about moral authority and the moral authority on what's happening right now in Palestine is all of the fingers are pointing towards Mm -hmm. Israel and us, Mm -hmm. right? And the United States for subsidizing like war and continued expansion of settler colonialism.
1: That's a good way of framing it. Moral authority. I like that. Kieran, you and I were talking about this a little bit while we are in Portland. What do you think changed?
0: I mean, I think we all have kind of touched on it. That, like, it is... There's been a lot of momentum from all of the uprising and like speaking truth to power and thinking about the world outside of ourselves last year Mm -hmm. while we were stuck in isolation and had time to think about things, I think is also a big deal because no one, well, that's not true. If you were (laughs) lucky, if you were lucky uh, then you weren't necessarily commuting to work every day. And so you had like a little bit more time to think about, things happening outside of your immediate normal and realizing, like, I think, I think a lot of people realized last year that people can do stuff about things that are happening and like, it's possible. (laughs) I think the burning
1: of the third precinct is like a really great moment.
0: Yeah. Like everybody's
1: like, Oh wait, we can do that.
0: Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's something that you kind of see sometimes in like the queer and trans community, where like one person will come out and they'll like start HRT or whatever, and then like it's multiple the other people, people yeah. will be yeah. like, "Oh, I can do that too," and then Wait, they'll if start, you and be then a girl, it's like, "You
1: can just be a girl." You
0: can just be a girl. <laughs> like it's it's a domino effect, and I think I think that helped, and and I think people had. Yeah time to realize oh like there are things that are going on that are wrong that are like important too and if I believe this thing then like it, it makes sense to be like well I can't like I can't morally justify like black lives matter and that people shouldn't be kicked out of their homes and Mm -hmm. all of these things and also be like no it's totally chill for Israel to bomb innocent people and kick them out of their homes with like for no reason
1: I mean I feel like there's there's like so many things that go into this like I think that this is the first like semi-productive direct action that we've seen as a generation, as millennials, because you had the, um, the, um, Occupy protests right before
2: the financial
1: collapse and the bailout. So like, what did that do? It like canceled itself out by the time it was done and that's discouraging. And so we haven't seen anything like actually do anything. And like, not that there has been a ton of progress made, but like, there's been more action that like feels like okay people are listening people are are coming together on this. I think the other thing that like I was thinking about in terms of like what shifted this this conversation I want to like give teenage girls on Tumblr like the credit they deserve because
4: yes.
1: <laughs> if you don't have the language <laughs> to describe what's happening you can't talk about it. And having the like baby teenage social justice warriors in the like mid odds, mid to late odds, like, passing around intersectionality and, like, pounding that into each other's heads, like, really opened up a conversation to be able to see how things overlapped with each other in in various ways. And then I think having the Dakota Access Pipeline protests um, and watching that at Standing Rock ongoing um, gave, like, a better, like, widespread understanding of, like, what that kind of, like, you know, land back, land access, land exploitation, Mm -hmm. settler settler colonialism looks like. And so we had a, like, direct metaphor that was nationally publicized. Like, Shailene Woodley was going out and, like, you know, getting arrested. Like, we had, you know...
2: Yeah, Standing Rock definitely had an impact.
1: I think Standing Rock made everybody aware of the like injustices that have been like overlooked and elided by the media for so long um in ways that they hadn't and then the uprising and then this just happens on the cusp of the end of the trump presidency where suddenly any policies that were in place during the trump presidency whether or not they had been grandfathered him, and predated him.
2: <laughs> but now they can be criticized. Now they can be criticized because, be criticized because yeah. Trump yeah.
1: endorsed them. So like yeah. even though Biden has this like whole history going back of like being extremely pro-Israel, like the yep. policies that are in place are Trump policies that they both agreed on. And so we can just yep. blame Trump on it and then like talk smack.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think the, the other other aspect is probably there's been a large heightened awareness of I know these these aren't really evictions in Palestine because that is that is the wrong term. But there has been heightened awareness in the states of evictions and rights mm. for people to have mm. a home in the past year during the during the pandemic. There's been a lot more reporting on police kicking people out of their homes here in the states. That combined with like the colonialism aspect from Standing Rock, I can definitely see how. Yeah, it, you, you you can watch the train of progressions to see how we're at this modern point. Yeah, with it's like you get the language Palestine. for
1: it. You get the momentum for it. You get a metaphor for it. You get your own, like, moment of, like, oh, shit, this could happen to me. And then mm-hmm. suddenly you're like, oh, I'm going to be caring about this now.
0: Yeah, that is really
2: true. Sounds like something we should actually talk about and stop just, like, whispering about in our socialist yeah. book clubs. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> time, it's... it's... <laughs>
3: I've never heard anyone whisper. Yeah, no, I think they're people. usually either yelling at each
0: other,
1: but that's just
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's the overlap of that. Like,
1: <laughs> It happens at the same time. Like.
3: But Eve, I think like what you mentioned about Sandy Rock is super important because like indigeneity, mm-hmm. right? Like indigenous rights and rights to the land, not as something to be mm-hmm. owned, but as something that you belong to. Like, that is the mentality that we're, you know, that is the way of seeing in Palestine. Well, I think the well. stories
1: that are, like, coming um, out of Palestine that, like, are hitting the hardest for, like, individuals who are, like, on the fence about this is, like, my family, you know, had this vineyard and, like, tended it for centuries and, like, suddenly, you know, we're, you know, kicked out and, like, we're walking by it every day and we can't do anything about it. And, like, that kind of imagery, mm. the idea of indigeneity and, like, you know, belonging to the land and like caring for it and having that be a reciprocal relationship rather than exploiting it with the like increased awareness of the climate crisis as being taken seriously. I think that just kind of snowballs to like, oh, I get it now.
2: I I hope that has an effect going forward.
1: Me too. (laughs) Yeah.
4: (laughs) Because <laughs> it's only
1: going to get worse. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yep. <sighs>
1: okay. So we wanted to talk about Jews for Jesus and the like messianic Christianity oh, yeah. stuff. Like,
0: who's
2: who all in this it? room? Oh, have boy. Zionist parents. I mean, mine used to be. I don't know if my dad still is. I mean, yeah, so. like we we, we we used to be in a very Zionist at, at one point We did Christian, in the, Christian yeah. Passover
1: seder's, yes.
2: Yeah, so did we. Yeah, we did. We did too. Yep. Um, no, yeah, and the cult I was in uh, partnered with an organization called um, is Israel, which is like a uh, a messianic outreach slash mostly a tourism program to take Christians oh. from the states and tour them around the biblical areas. So they do baptisms um, in, Israel. in the
1: River
2: Jordan too. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I I never I never went because I was just a that little was child. Such a thing. And it, um, <laughs> but these types of organizations are really sketchy. Um, and they like intentionally fund uh dis displacement of Palestinians. Like these are like like evil organizations. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to talk Airbnb. about Airbnb. <laughs> Yeah, but like, they were like, if Airbnb funded a military, <laughs> yeah. like, 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 the I'm very excited. Is the wrong word? I'm, I'm very excited. I, I, I'm taking the opportunity to like talk about these things because they're really messed up and people don't really know much like about like the like the like the heavy like Christian evangelical Zionism and the and the messianic stuff is like a whole nother level of genocide and anti-Semitism that gets completely brushed over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, yeah. I'm excited to, to talk about all these bad things. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. You're totally, on the right podcast. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you're totally right though. Like I was doing some, I've been doing research for another piece I'm writing about Christian Zionism. Cause this is what I'm going to be writing about for a while now, I guess. And I literally found documents like from these churches where they would pass the collection plate for like the IDF yes. like, oh my God. Yeah. millions
2: <laughs> millions of dollars oh, hundreds of millions oh, of dollars but, like, yeah, so so like the, the thing people don't realize the largest lobbying force for zionism isn't that big like um israeli convention that like conservatives and not liberals all go to it's not IPAC. Yeah. It is evangelical Christians. They are the largest mm-hmm. lobbying force for for Zionism. I believe it. And they directly fund displacements and they directly fund the IDF. Um, milli- hundreds of millions of dollars get transferred from the Bible Belt to Israel every year. It is wild. Instead of giving and it to and their no one talks game, about trans this.
1: kids, they go send it to fund genocide. It's great.
2: Right. Yeah, no like and and n- no one talks about this. And the the way yeah. the, like the way like like the tourism aspect works is that like yeah. they were like literally kick people out of their homes for the tourism and then just never leave. Like it's mm-hmm. it's the most messed up thing. Um, And again, all these people are like, most of these people are like Christians and they like secretly think Jewish people are like still under the behest of Satan because they haven't accepted the Messiah. Um, (laughs) And if and if if we start talking about the book of Revelation, we're going to get into a whole bunch of more like (laughs) genocidal stuff because all of the people in Israel are going to die and the Christians are like thrilled about it. Like it's a so okay, messed okay, up. Okay, so
1: let's like let's let's get there, but let's get there by way of um, Amy wrote this <laughs> article for Religion Dispatches that like kind of divides uh, the evangelical support of Israel from the eschatological impulses that we see so commonly today. What's what's the what predates that? So I think I just want to talk a little bit
3: about like. <laughs> I think that there are real fundamental reasons no pun intended, <laughs> why fundamentalists are like so drawn to Israel that are not just eschatological, but even the eschatological stuff, there was never consensus mm-hmm. about. So like I would literally see these. Um, so I did my, I wrote my undergrad thesis at, on this I, at Garofi I can't University believe College they let
1: you do that. And I'm so impressed. I
4: know.
3: <laughs> it was really great. I had a great time doing it. But I found these, these like, pamphlets from Assemblies of God. So these are, you know, Pentecostals. And they literally, very anti-Semitic, I might, add, might I add, where they were basically like, well, Jews can't go back to Israel right now because they're still Jewish. Like, they basically had to be converted in order for them to go back and restore the land. And so you would see these things about, like, yeah, they're just trying to do it on their own. They're not waiting for God and this. Just- <coughs> just goes to show what Jews do and it was, you know, very anti-Semitic. Is this the
1: the man Um, on the roof and the helicopters going past kind of moment? (laughs) Do you know the sermon (laughs) illustration I'm I'm referring to? (laughs) Where's like Oh, we're doing. Yeah, we're an illustration where like yeah. the guy is like, oh, "This is so bad." He, like, sorry, this is a total tangent. My ADHD brain. The the guy's on the roof and there's a flood and he's like waiting for a rescue and a guy comes by in a rowboat and he's like, "Oh no, God's gonna save me."
0: So oh yes, I helicopter. remember. Oh this. no,
1: God's gonna save. Yeah, and they're they're like, "Oh no, this can't happen this way in Israel because God didn't orchestrate it." Right.
3: Exactly.
0: We'll only accept being lifted up through the heavens in a snow, not in a snow, (laughs) in a sunray.
3: (laughs) But yeah, so all the eschatological stuff didn't really get worked out until fairly recently, I Mm. would say. But it's something that I think has captured a lot of people's attention. And I, you know, kind of circling back to what we were originally talking about, like, but that obscures the fact that, like, most even like everyday Christians that like don't perhaps don't even realize that they're Christian Zionists are Christian mm-hmm. Zionists and are supporting you know these through different readings of the Bible and I'm like okay because I had this conversation with my dad for instance and he was like yeah well all of this land belongs to Israel belongs to Jews right and I was like okay but then if we're doing the biblical thing then like Syria doesn't exist <laughs> and like Jordan doesn't
4: exist
3: <laughs> you know what I mean like if, you, know, like if you really want to do that how do you feel about eating <laughs> shrimp <laughs> and, you know like then it gets like and it's just so logically inconsistent and i find that like the problem that we have is a problem where we like equate the modern nation state with historical understandings of land identity peoplehood religion you know and they're not a <laughs> the <okay>. historical
1: <laughs> biblical interpretation just creates a whole fucking set of landmines this is just one of many. Yeah.
2: I, I think another aspect we're trying to understand why there is this kind of disconnect, disconnect between some evangelical Christians and what they view about this kind of whole situation is that it is it is more of like a death cult thing. Mm. Because these people require Israel to be – these people believe they require Israel to to be a state, in order for their um, like apocalyptic apocalyptic out- outcome to come to pass, so like that's that that like that's the drive behind like the Christian Zionism thing is that they they believe based on interpretations of sections of the Old Testament and the last book of uh, the Christian Bible to that like they require Israel to be a functioning state, and most of them believe controlling all swaths of land. I know there was there's you know some some people who. Believe that um, you know the the like the path of the of the apocalypse started in 1948 when Israel became a state, but because that hasn't really happened yet, so people are now the kind of the discourse is shifting to being like, no, Israel needs to control all of the land, so that they need to kick out all of the Palestinians in order for like kind of um, the rapture to be set in right. motion and for and like the, the seven years of conflict to happen in Israel. And there's the a whole Armaged different series
1: of eschatological interpretations of like how this conflict needs to play out and like w- in what order, but basically all of them agree that the epicenter is jerusalem and that like israel being a nation state of some sort is essential to that which is really interesting because again this goes back to our our ongoing forever conversation about like evangelicals failing to read the bible as genres of literature (laughs) and (laughs) like let's just like talk about like what john was doing on patmos like anyway and like <laughs> why can't you know contemporary evangelicals remember that like he was mostly talking about the roman empire and like probably yeah no idea like, to it's, do it's, this. It's, slash andor was like a heavily historical book. Mushrooms. like many things are possible yeah. here <laughs> sorry you were saying yeah it's
2: it's, it's, it's <laughs> it, yeah, well yeah like, like revelation is this most likely like a really historical book to, talking about like Nero and a whole bunch of stuff and like fear mongering about if Nero returns or there's a new Nero figure. Yeah, there's there's a whole historical background, but a key tenet of evangelicalism is not understanding the Bible and the context it was written. Yes, it's understanding it in whatever context they require to hold power. Mm-hmm. So yep. it doesn't it doesn't matter because it's because it's because right. it's a cult thing. And it's not it's not why, it's not actually believed. Right,
1: and this is why you have it being so common among Christian evangelicals, like your everyday person in those those groups just accepts it as a given because they're true believers. They're not interested in power. Yeah. They're not interested if no. they're interested in having their lives in order and being welcomed in a community. And so once they yes. get that, they'll accept the the beliefs uncritically. Whereas the leaders of the these organizations, because they set up a system where they have power and cannot be criticized, they can be disingenuous and be seeking power and know that this is a yep. misinterpretation and just write with it.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a horrible cycle. Yeah. It's, it's yep. That's it. <laughs> <on>. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I will also say though, that like, cause I often feel that when people say evangelicals, um, there's an assumption that it's like the white evangelicals. And I, really have to underscore that there, you know, evangelicalism as a sort of belief system is grow right, you all know this, growing overwhelmingly in the global south, in Africa, in Latin America, Mm -hmm. and at least in the Latin American iterations that I'm familiar with. Israel is also kind of I don't know, I think there's a sense too of like personal restoration. Like if God can restore Israel, God can restore me. Like I remember Mm. when I was little, I'm just gonna share the story. My dad would tell me the story of like the six day war, like when I was scared at night. And he was like, you know, if God delivered Israel during the six day war, he can take care of us. <laughs> and it was just like a firm belief too in this like notion of like uh restoration, the power of God, and then personal power that we're like on
1: the right side. Mm-hmm.
4: I think it's
3: God even following beyond through the, like, like six time,
1: million years later or whatever. Yeah.
3: And that's what people were, like, and that's what I was reading in these periodicals, even in more, like, mainstream, uh, you know, Protestants, they were like, hey, this is kind of proof that God exists, isn't it? That, like, Israel's getting its own state? Yeah. So it's, like, kind
1: of validation, you know? And I think, like, having to have this, like, ongoing struggle against the, the indigenous Palestinians, like, is also reinforcing that because of the, like, the prodigious belief in suffering as like a way of to holiness and like a way of reinforcing your beliefs like if i'm suffering if like i'm being opposed then i'm doing it right
2: yeah there's also a a lot of a lot of christians who believe that they will be rewarded in the afterlife for helping israel Um, yeah and that's what that's 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 what a lot that's what a lot of like pastors who fund these big organizations like preach as well. Because like that's that's the way that they can get the congregation on board of some of this stuff. Because I mean they can talk about the apocalypse all they want, but at this point a lot of people will be like, okay, you're just talking about Narnia. Um <laughs> right. So uh, this, but 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 something they can do now is like yeah, like as we're seeing more people like, yeah, like if if we support Israel as a nation because it's God because because it, it's God's nation and it's God's people, even though they're misguided, it's still the people that God chose we need to protect them and help them. And if we do, we will be re- re- rewarded afterwards. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely an aspect.
1: And then there's this really interesting thing about the, the Messianic Jewish community that I, I feel like is like kind of a, a really weird perspective that is worth giving some time to, where it's like some of them are Zionist, but I feel like it's secondary to their own sense of like significance in terms of the end times Because there's this, this, like, idea of, like, the Jews forfeited their covenant with God, and the Christians have inherited that, and, like, we're taking on that mantle now. And so, like, if we're appropriating Judaism, this is, like, our God-given right. And, like, so, again, like, the whole, like, commentary around, like, Pence trotting out a Messianic rabbi, Messianic Jewish rabbi, after the Tree of Life shooting is, like, that's anti-Semitism at its peak. Like, this is a, like, we can replace you um, mm-hmm. with this Christian belief. Like, you are replaceable. And so, you know, of course, that goes back to all of that lingo from Nazi Germany. Um, and-, <laughs> and-, and Yeah. And- like, and- more and- and recently. And the-
2: yeah, I mean, like, and the original Zionist movement, because, like, Christian Zionism actually slightly predates our modern notion of Zionism in terms of, like, like the con- countries reacting to, like, the Holocaust and stuff um, and how that kind of fueled um, the the kind of, the, the desire for, for uh, Jewish people to have kind of a, a safe country of their own. Um, but the, like, initial Zionism is fueled by a lot of... Um, uh, a of lot of anti-Semitism. Uh, there was a lot of people who wanted Jews to have their own country as in like an ethno state to like get them away from the rest of society. Mm-hmm. And then the other aspect of it is that in the more extreme Christian Zionist movement is that they believe like all Jews have been tricked and have, and are like, misguided mm-hmm. right because because they could not accept them as, like they were too blind to see the messiah um and so they're basically just using jewish people as kind of puzzle pieces in their in, in them trying to put into forth the prophecy that they interpret from the bible um and the real messed up a part That's of it is, wire is the apocalypse interpre- right yeah exactly yeah. and the real messed up part is that they're trying to get all, they're trying to get as many Jewish people to move to Israel as possible uh, because they need it for their prophecy. But also part of their interpretation of the prophecy is that like everyone in Israel is going to get like killed by, by like all countries going to war against Israel. Um, So like they're setting, they're like doing this, they're doing this like, you know, hot wiring the, the prophecy um, with full recognition that like everyone they're sending to Israel is going to all get genocided. And so it's like, it's not, they don't actually care about people there. Yeah. Like, because according to belief, they're all going to get murdered. <laughs> so it's just, it's the, it's, it's this huge disconnect. So like you watch people like do this like Bible tourism and, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, and be nice to everybody. But then you like seconds later, you hear them talk about how everyone, yeah, it's going to be so sad when everyone here has to get killed in the war. And you're like, wow. Okay. So when, when okay. did you just
1: <laughs> figure this out? Like, like we all grew up, you know, true believers in this shit. Like, when did it click that this was really fucked up?
2: Um, for me, it was probably the past few years. Yeah. As, as, as I shifted from kind of conservatism to socialism to kind of like, uh, more like anti-state, um, uh, democracies and stuff. This is kind of, you know, this just kind of came, came with the course, I Mm -hmm. guess, for me.
3: Yeah. And I think for me, it, like one of the things that I don't think we've talked about yet is like, They're Palestinian Christians.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah.
3: And I remember.
4: (laughs) We're not supposed to
1: know that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a
3: secret. It's a secret. Um, But I became, you know, pro-Palestinian because I met my first Palestinian person who happened to be of a Christian background and is currently my advisor. (laughs) And it was really wild because I, you know, I was like, there was like short circuiting, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we have a short circuit moment where we're like, Oh no, like nobody told me this like existed. And then she was the one who was teaching me about, you know, like generally dispossession. But then I started learning more about like Palestinian Christians and how they also, you know, were dispossessed. Like there was no right, like special protections for them and they are among also the most like revolutionary you know anti-zionist yep. um proponent so i'm like why aren't we even listening to christians who are living in the land
0: yeah
1: same reason why we don't like the episcopalians shut up and new one
4: <laughs> is that your punchline no i'm just <laughs> <Is that so? laughs> good one Man.
0: Uh, For me, it was like, I think it started around 2013 when I was talking to Jewish people who weren't Zionists and they were happy to explain stuff to me and just sort of like, as stuff has come up, listening to my Jewish friends talk about it and be like, ah, everything I learned was bullshit which, like, I knew, <laughs> but was helpful to know that, like, that is also.
1: Yeah, I think there was, there was a lot of that, like, I know everything I grew up with was bullshit, so I'm going to, like, assume that this was also fucked yes. up, and yeah. I yeah. will wait until more information comes to, like, finish figuring that out.
2: Turns out you were <sighs> right. Turns yeah. yeah. you were right. <laughs> no, I was,
1: like, I left, and I was, like, okay, we are just going – Scorched earth, <laughs> nothing remains. We're gonna yeah. rebuild as time goes. I attended a Passover Seder in 2013 that a friend of a friend hosted, and invited me to, and I remember being very uncomfortable going into it and feeling very much like, "Oh no, am I doing the thing again?" Where I'm like appropriating this stuff, and like having this like slow recognition as they were doing. I forget the name of it, but the very, the very queer liturgy that some people will do that like this was nothing like the appropriative Passover Seders I participated in as a kid and so I just kind of like tucked that aside and was like okay I'm gonna process that later I'm dealing with a divorce and all sorts of other things We'll, we'll figure that one out later when we get back to it and then you know just kind of like passively absorbing things but there was this mo- there's this one moment where I was helping run a little like like adjunct conference during the DSLCC like conference on Martha's Vineyard one summer and afterward I was at the bar with some of the folks who had been at both and one of them I said something about being generally pro-Palestine or like something about Israel's policies towards Palestine being fucked up. And this, this man got so mad at me. he was like, your boss is Jewish. How could you say such a thing? And I was just like, it just baffled me. I had not considered that this would be considered anti-Semitic in these like centrist circles, centric, centrist circles. And, and it just like threw me for a loop and I was like wait hang on did I get that wrong and so I had to go back and do a whole bunch of research to make sure like make sure I was like solid in what I had assumed and I the more I researched the more I was like oh shit this is like I was not just right but like this is really really more nuanced than I was aware of and I need to pay more attention um and then Pence and the tree of life stuff just kind of sealed the deal I'm glad we're all here. Me too.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I feel like we've covered everything we've talked about talking about, but is there anything else anyone wants to like throw out there or mention?
2: Revelation seems like a great book to read on acid. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs>
2: I think yes, that will be to the
1: only
0: to way as an I read it ever again.
1: On
2: acid. <laughs> It, it's so wild it's it's really it's it's a really fun book it's it's a shame it's used for all kinds of bad shit because it's it's actually a very entertaining read it's like it it's, is the most uh, yeah.
0: interesting like story no ezekiel is more interesting in the
1: entire bible no ezekiel is more interesting but then revelation is the close second
2: well ezekiel yeah. ties into uh, ezekiel ties into you have um, to like uh, a lot of revelation is ezekiel fan like, fiction
0: Exactly. It's super
2: nerdy. It's like it's 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 like it's like if Grant it's it's like if the comic book author Grant Morrison wrote the Bible. Um, that, that that is revelation. Because it's, it's like super nerdy, it makes no sense, and is like a whole bunch of like historical stuff and just weird imagery. Um oh, it's so it's so fun.
1: And lots of sl- and lots and lots of slut shaming. Just have to have a lot oh, of so
0: that. much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the other fun thing is that the angels in Neon Genesis Evangelion are much closer to how the Book of Revelation describes angels than huh. like any other angel ever depicted on TV at all ever.
3: <laughs> what, like terrifying? Yes, Thousands horrifying. Of eyes.
2: S- S- S-
0: all <laughs> eyes, all the time. <laughs> like it's. It's literally like the first time I watched, this is a complete tangent, I'm sorry, but the first time I watched Neon Genesis Evangelion, I was like, I recognize a lot of this imagery. And also, wow, an anime, anything on TV actually got an angel right. They've <laughs> they been doing are their depicting
2: homework. these actu- accurately. <laughs> There was this one TV show we watched because, like, we could, we, we, weren't, we weren't allowed to watch like actual television or anything in the cult, right. But we had like you know a small selection of like of like Christian TV shows. Mm-hmm. There was this one that was like I don't know how to describe it. It, in retrospect, it feels very anime, but it was it was like a CG animated thing that's like angels in space <laughs> with like different with like different military factions. So like all the characters are based off of like b- biblical angels, and those stories are based off of like. Conflicts between the angels and the demons, and it's this. So, like, this, Gabriel's this the air force, weird... and, my, and Michael's the yeah, Army exactly. Army. Oh my it's God. Exa- exactly. It's exactly. It's this. It was a super weird TV show that <laughs> that we, that we watched. I forget what it was called, huh. but yeah, they had like big. They had like big, like lasery swords. Wow, and that is the the, the coolest depiction of angels in any media. Still sounds like a Star it's Wars. Is this spin-off. dumb? Star Wars, Star Trek. But with angels fighting like Lucifer and like the horde of demons, it's yeah, very fun.
3: (laughs) It reminds me of Bible Man. Did anyone? Oh
2: yes, I am going to be talking about Bible Man on the podcast soon. Don't you worry; (laughs) his time is coming. I we I was having I was having a road trip with Robert Evans, and I ranted about Bible Man for about an hour. Oh my Um, god! Always a good time to rant at him about anything. It's coming. Oh, I'm so excited. Did you know that there is there is a there is a animated reboot going on right now? No. No. Are they rebooting Salty as well? (laughs) I don't know. Salty
3: also terrifying. Salty Salty is more
0: terrifying than anything ever. The most terrifying. (laughs) Oh my god.
1: Well, on on that note, I have one one other piece of trivia, and 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 we can wrap up. Did you know that the uh, the Donut Man has been uh, canceled because he became Catholic?
0: <laughs> what? Well, that was not the turn that, that I expected that to take. He converted
1: to Catholicism in like the early aughts, and he got canceled by the fundies. <laughs> oh my god. That's
3: a great <laughs> story, I did not know that. I went to a donut man me concert too. Oh, it
0: I got a donut hole, and that's most of what I remember. Aww.
4: yeah
1: it Aww. was
0: it was good. It was just like from Dunkin Donuts, but like
1: did you eat it, and is there a hole in your heart now?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: It really did defeat the
3: whole metaphor, you yeah. know? It's, so, yeah. They yeah. committed. They really committed.
0: They really, they really did. Like, as an adult now, I'm looking at that being. Garrison, like,
1: if you've never watched these, you need to go to YouTube and watch the Easter special and just like. Oh
4: my God.
1: Watch it All while right. high.
0: <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! Okay, well that explains why like the donut man totally disappeared from
1: mm-hmm. everything. He became, he became and an I, Catholic, and obviously that's heresy.
0: I mean, it is because you pray to Mary, so can't have that. I, worship.
2: I don't
1: worship. All right.
2: The Pope's the Antichrist who's going to lead the international. Forces to turn against Israel, hmm. yeah, right. With the donut with, the donut, with the donut man, with, with, the, with the donut, donut man by his say. side. <laughs> put that in your eschatology. The, the donut man is the false prophet, <laughs> and the Pope is the beast. <laughs> uh, I can, I can make, I can make this work. This I can, I can trace I'm waiting it. Waiting for the graphic novel to In this essay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> dot dot dot. Okay, so you, you and
1: Kieran put together that graphic novel. And I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, y'all. Where can our listeners find you? If they want to find you.
2: If you want to be found. I guess I can go first. Sure. Okay. Well, if you want to hear me talking about Bible Man, uh, tune in to... Uh, uh, Behind the Bastards, I sometimes uh, host and write episodes when Robert's busy doing other things. Working on a few other projects with iHeartRadio, mostly about the end of the world. So stay tuned for that. If you just want to see me like ship posting and posting cat pictures and occasionally doing street reporting, you can follow me on Twitter at HungryBowtie. That is the best handle.
3: That's great. Yeah, how can I follow that? I'm not nearly as exciting. <laughs> You're extremely
1: exciting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're like have, are actually smart and have like PhD stuff. I am, a, I am a child who writes about Bible. Math. I, yeah.
1: Is that not the dream?
4: <laughs>
1: Amy is a very sexy um, divorcee who is prolific on Twitter. That's
3: okay. I like that actually. That's a great description. <laughs> I will own that. Yes, you can find me on Twitter. I tweet a lot. I'm on there all the time. Amy underscore bias. That's
1: F-A-L-L-A-S. Awesome. And uh, tell us, dear Amy, what lipstick Thank color else are you all for listening tonight? to us uh, ramble on. And now that oh, lipstick oh, is back, now. time, thank you so much to Dave Nixon. It you know, is Dave's never gone for out of sound. For me. Good I've been it throughout week. the pandemic indoors and by myself. And
0: If you Hila like this podcast, that is. Uh, I call due it the mm-hmm. I know which uh, one you're uh, talking about. Janet from their album Stanazzo. Thank you for letting us use your music. You can support the podcast and join the Slack. By going Thank you so Patreon, much, y'all. This is good Which is patreon.com <laughs> So slash good. Yeah. cathartic
1: We have a good yeah. time. There's <laughs> a lot of real good animal pictures. And we, you know, bitch about brains being fragile soup and other things.
0: It's great. You should join us. If you have any questions or comments that are nice or constructive, <laughs> uh, you, can, <laughs> you can email us at kitchentablecool at gmail.com or poke us on Twitter at kitchen cold pod. Thanks for listening. As always, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.